the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. I have a special guest today. His name is Brent James. He's the senior pastor at Peninsula Bible Fellowship in Bremerton. And Brent, welcome to Heart of the City. Thank you, Chuck. It's great to be here. It, it is good to be here. And, and we'll talk a little bit of, about uh, how long we've known each other. And it's been uh, actually about a year, but actually we've known each other for much longer than that. And we'll, we'll talk about Indeed. that towards the end of the program. But uh, uh, I, I always like to uh, hear the stories of how people came to faith, and uh, I know that you came from a family who knew the, knew the Lord, but uh, uh, tell us about uh, your life in, uh, I believe, California and starting off in, in, in California and, and uh, what life was like for you as a young man and what your spiritual walk was like. Yeah, um, I sort of always start this story by saying, that I was born on Saturday and in church on Sunday uh, morning. Uh, the actual truth was I was born on a Sunday. And uh, I've never known any kind of life without church being a huge part of uh, every day. My mom was a music minister uh, and was always sort of the principal um, music coordinator for whatever churches we were a part of. And when I was growing, when I was born, my dad was a deacon. Uh, and after we moved to another church, he was sort of an influential parishioner, very much dedicated uh, to the work of the church. And so um, it wasn't uncommon for me to be at church as a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, uh, three nights, four nights a week. Uh, my parents also had a singing group, so they would travel uh, around to different churches in the area, and, and of course I would be uh, dragged along on that. And so um, it's a weird thing when you grow up in a church, and uh, particularly when I was three, we moved to a new non-denominational church plant uh, that grew very quickly and very quickly became the largest church in our community. And so you uh, grow up sort of seeing the being able to see the man behind the curtain a little bit, uh, how ministry happens on a week-to-week basis. And so um, I I think the moment that I came to Christ, I, I'll say uh, there's sort of three moments. I think uh, as so many pastors or so many people who grew up in church, uh, we had God and Nature Super Camp, and we had sort of the talk that was, if you don't want to go to hell— raise your hand and come forward. And so that happened when I was in fourth grade. And at 13, 
we did a missions trip to Mexico uh, to an orphanage. And I think on that trip, um, being sort of confronted with poverty and I think sort of seeing how blessed I truly was, and uh, I, I, there was something about recognizing my own depravity. And uh, there was a cross up on a hill uh, where we were staying and I remember walking to that cross and and saying, I, I really want to, I, I want to give my life over to Jesus and I recognize I'm a sinner and I need his grace. Um, I thought growing up that I would be a entertainment lawyer. I remember uh, hearing about uh, Michael Jackson's lawyer doing a deal for him for $80 million and realizing that as the lawyer, he probably saw 10% of that. And I thought, well, that's a smart way to make money. And I uh, went to UCLA uh, for a weekend to sort of look at what it, would it be to go to uh, there to and to continue on in the law school. And I was really confronted with um, sort of the decadent uh, partying lifestyle uh, that happened down there. And that was not attractive to me in any way, shape, or form. And I really sort of felt like God tapped me on the shoulder and say, well, if you go here, this, the, your life is going to be a lot of this. And so I didn't really have a plan B, except for there was an Assemblies of God college that um, my family sort of been a part of my aunt was a trustee of Bethany College. It was the oldest Assemblies of God College in the United States in the Santa Cruz Mountains uh, near the Bay Area. And so I decided to go there and I went as a uh, English major and a drama minor and didn't know what I was going to do and got involved really some of the three best years of my life. And really, I think experienced worship for the first time in a powerful, personal way. And um, I was dealing with, you know, am I called to ministry? And I'll never forget my drama professor, a guy by the name of Bob Alplanop. Uh, we were coming home from singing at a church uh, in my singing group, and I got off the bus and he came up to me and he said, hey, Brent, uh, we're looking at starting a new major. A lot of churches, the Willow Creeks, the Saddlebacks, they're actually starting to hire full-time drama ministers. Is that something that you would be interested in? And I wasn't interested in it at all, but I think at that moment, like this light went off for me. And I think for always before, I had thought, that if I was called to ministry, I had to be a pastor exactly like the senior pastor that grew up. If I was going to be a pastor, I would have to become Bill Stevens. Mm -hmm. And this sort of light bulb went off that if God was going to call me, he would use my gifts and he would use my talents, that I would be Brent, not someone else. And that was really sort of a, an open door for me uh, mentally to say, okay, let's go into ministry. And um, I uh, participated in several churches that were super tough, tough 
situations. I came out of Bethany, became a pastor with the Assemblies of God. And I would say that my first two calls uh, were really tough, uh, not fun uh, experiences at all. And, uh, you know, I came from a Reformed background. I, I uh, My church was sort of steeped in a Reformed yet charismatic experience. And uh, Bethany was a very sort of coming from a Reformed theological point of view. And then getting into the churches and the Assemblies of God, I realized, oh, gosh, this is not, this is not the norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... I ended up, a friend of mine suggested that I go try um, in sort of the spiritual desert that I was in to be ministered to as I was ministering and go Saturday night to a church called Menlo Park Presbyterian Church, which was really sort of a hallmark change for me. Um, I always say that almost from the moment I walked in the doors, uh, I experienced grace in a really powerful, powerful way. And a friend of mine likes to say uh, that during that time, Menlo Park Prez, it was like grace just sort of seeped from the walls. And uh, a really powerful uh, experience, four to five years serving uh, on the ministry team there and just sort of developed um, Uh, I sort of went through my ministerial adolescence there and really thrived. And uh, and I would say that Menlo Park really represented this sort of uh, exclamation point of where I rediscovered grace and where I really rediscovered the love of God. And and that gave me the power and, and the strength to pursue God uh, in a way that I'd not pursued God before. Hmm. Well, it's interesting the the seasons of life that we have, isn't it? That that you know, even though you were in in ministry in these other situations, yet, and it happens to many of us where we kind of forget about the grace of God. We're doing all these tasks, we're doing stuff for God, ministry for God, but. Yet within our own spirits, we kind of lose that perspective of God's grace and his faithfulness in our lives. And, you know, we're so involved in the, quote, work of the ministry that we lose track of that at times, don't we? Absolutely. (laughs) And that happens with pastors. It happens with ministry leaders. It happens with mature, uh, if you want to call them lay people who are in the faith, that that can happen. It's, uh, you know. Even though you're involved, so involved in ministry. So, what happened next for you after uh, uh, after Menlo? Well, and I'll just say um, at Menlo, one of the things that was just so remarkable was um, uh, there's a book in management philosophy called um, a Level Five. Uh, Jim Collins wrote a book called Le- Level Five Leadership, and the gentleman who pastored Menlo Prez, Walt Gerber. Um, if I've ever met a level five leader, it was him. And um, coming from sort of the Pentecostal world, it, it just blew my mind because here was a church that had such an incredible story. So the most unchurched county in the United States, San Mateo County in California. And 
Menlo Park Presbyterian Church had 5,000 members, 10,000 friends and members. Uh, it was not uncommon for our Christmas Eve services to have 12,000 people come through. Um, when In the days that I were there, the budget was $20 million. And Walt wanted no – he was antithetical to any – to any sort of name, uh, having his personal brand uh, be uh, lifted up. And uh, I remember one time just saying, you know, Walt, this is, this is such an incredible place, and I feel like people need to know about what you're doing. And I'll never forget, he looked at me and he goes, Brent, let me just say something to you. If, you, if I'm lucky enough that I get to heaven – the only reason I'm going to get there is because I'm a sinner saved by grace. And whatever I've achieved, I'm going to take whatever crown it is, I'm going to take and I'm going to throw it down at the feet of Jesus because he's the only one who deserves any of the glory. And you, just this remarkable leader who was so focused on Jesus and not uh, sort of building up uh, sort of his own personal brand. And and that was like water to a you know, a dry soul. Mm -hmm. And I just admired him so much. So um, I ended up, uh, the church helped me to go to seminary and uh, went to Fuller Seminary for uh, two years and down in Pasadena. And I went down there and realized, boy, I really don't like Southern California. This is, <laughs> <laughs> this is not it for me at all. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so we came back up to uh uh, Portland. My wife was offered a job in Portland, and so I finished off my seminary degree at George Fox uh, Seminary there, mm -hmm. which was a, a really wonderful experience. And I got to work for another guy by the name of uh, Bob Sanders, and he pastored uh, the largest Presbyterian church in the state of Oregon, Lake Grove Presbyterian Church. And again, just a remarkable human being who placed such value on the preaching of the word. And uh, it, it, it was interesting. I think when we went to Portland, it was the first time I had ever had to church shop, so to speak. Right. And it was a very traditional, I mean, it was 100 voice choir, organ, pipe organ, handbells. And, you know, all of that... Uh, which I appreciate, and I, I actually love traditional music, and they, they do it superbly well. They still do it to this day superbly well. Um, but it was like, oh, gosh, I don't know. Like, culturally, is this a fit for me and my wife who are 30 years old? And, and, and it was a much older congregation. And I went to several churches uh, trying to find, and every time that I would go to Lake Grove, the word of God was preached. Like, you could just feel it in your soul. Like, I have received the word. Of, I've heard the word of I've God. I've been fed. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was like, I have to be here. I have to go here. And so I got to serve on staff there uh, for six years and grew. And uh, and then a executive pastor uh, of mine back in the Menlo days uh, was working for a group called the Vanderblumen uh, Company, and they sort of help churches find pastors. 
And he said, you know, Brent, I've found this really neat church uh, up in uh, Bremerton. I didn't even know where Bremerton Silverdale uh, was. I had to look it up on a map and uh, uh, went to uh, – the, the first thing I said to him is, Peninsula Bible Fellowship, Bible Fellowship. I've been in the Presbyterian Church for the last 10 years. They're not going to want anything to do with me. And, and he said, don't, don't let the name fool you. They're, they're reformed. They're as reformed as anything. Uh, they've got an interesting story. And so went up and uh, almost nine years ago, uh, next month, nine years ago, I met with the founding pastors, uh, Bill uh, Robinson and Joe Schneider, uh, they were sort of friends from seminary, and uh, they went, both went to Dallas uh, Seminary and planted the church. Uh, Joe came six months after Bill planted uh, Peninsula Bible Fellowship, and they sort of co-pastored. Uh, Bill, senior pastor to lead pastored for 28 years, and then Joe, uh, after Bill stepped down, Joe became the next senior pastor for the next 11 years. So I was really the first new pastor that they'd ever had. And so that was that was an interesting experience. That was a through. risk for them. I mean, yeah. here you got this California guy transplanted to Oregon and, and, yeah. and coming to the Northwest. Yeah, very <laughs> much so. And, uh, and, and I think it's super hard when churches go through that, that change, that first real like, okay, there's new DNA, there's new um, – there's a there's new leadership that's going to do new things that 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 can that can create some turbulence. But luckily, uh, we didn't create too much turbulence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, during that time. Well, there's real wisdom when you're when you're coming into a, a a lead role like that, isn't there? Of being able to acknowledge and embrace the culture that's there mm-hmm. and the traditions that are there, but yet begin to offer. Um, uh, uh, maybe a new perspective or a, a, a new direction in ministry, and that takes time, doesn't it? It's not like you walk in there and bust down the doors and say, here I am to save the day, right? My biggest lesson from that time, because I tried with all my might. Um, I mean, obviously there's certain things that I had expectations about with regards to worship and how worship service would run, but from a the management of the ministries, I desperately tried to make no changes for the first year that I was there. And within 12 months, 11, 12, 13 months, several people had said to me, well, you know, with all of the changes, and I I was confounded. I was like, what are you talking I've I've done everything that I could to make sure that there were no changes. And I realized... It was me. I was the change. I was more than enough change. Just the fact that I was preaching on Sunday morning and Joe wasn't. Just the fact that I came in with my style of leadership that was very different than Joe's, like that was that was enough change for that organization just full stop. They were they were full of change and we hadn't even done anything uh, at that point. Yeah. Well, Brent, we've got about five minutes left, and so uh, let's move forward to uh, what's happening now with Peninsula Bible Fellowship. And by the way, you're listening to Heart of the City, 
And uh, with us today is Brent James. He's the senior pastor at Peninsula Bible Fellowship in, in Bremerton. So you're dealing with COVID right now. So you're back to um, uh, partial services. I think it's appointment only right now, right? Yeah. Which is a weird deal, isn't it? How do, you, how do you set an appointment to go to church? But it's happening all over. Yeah. Well, it's really important, particularly if, you know, uh, Andy Stanley this week announced that they're doing no in-person services the end of 2020 Mm. Uh, he made that announcement last week and one of the reasons is the church is on the hook to do all the contact tracing if someone is uh, if if someone comes and reports that they've become infected it's our responsibility to then make sure that everyone who's attended during the time with them that they know that they need to go be tested uh, because of it and so uh, that's sort of the challenge, and and it's you know it's not very fun. It's uh, uh, worship in a mask, and uh, we're it's it's. I remember some someone said if you can figure out how to do children's programming by adequately socially distancing the kids, they are never going to want to come to church ever again. <laughs> right, 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 because <laughs> that's tough. Yeah. And uh, I know my, my great-granddaughter uh, out on the East Coast, my, my daughter has told me that she's uh, so anxious to get back to church, but they're going to kind of bring her in and, and test her out there at church because it's really tough for a 3-year-old and a 4-year-old to understand social distancing. Certainly so, so now she's getting ready, used to the mask and all of that sort of stuff. So through this, how have you found your congregation to be able to navigate through all of the struggles, some probably financial, some relational, some, you know, all of those kinds of things? How are you still able to connect with, with the people who the Lord has called you to lead? Yeah, I find uh, iPhone, the iPhone 7 came out, I, I, I can't remember the date, but when that came out, that was the first device that had the ability to... Um, to live stream to Facebook. And I decided, what the heck, let's get one of these and let's just start live streaming our worship services to Facebook. And lo and behold, all of a sudden, every week we started having 10, 12, 15, 20 people who, parishioners who were on vacation or had gone here or maybe they were sick, it it provided them an opportunity to sort of um, log in and 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 then some folks who had some um, disabilities who didn't have the ability to come to church, they wrote us and said, "This is the most meaningful thing. I can finally go to church uh, in a way that I've not been able to." And so we started really investing maybe two three years ago on trying to make that live stream experience a, a better experience for people nowhere near what it is today. And so I feel very blessed because we had already built that muscle memory of how do you get online and how do you access. We've now had to do multiple different channels uh, for that. Um, and so uh, we're, we, I, I think 90% of our congregation is live streaming the service. Uh, we're trying to do Zoom fellowship times and give people the opportunity to continue their Bible studies, all the regular community groups uh, on Zoom. Um, One of the things we've been able to do is create some really wonderful interviews. So we've been able to do these Zoom interviews with Scott Sauls, uh, an author, John Yates, 
um, a, a, a friend of mine whose uh, video was put on Jimmy Kimmel with all the racism, uh, uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Tyler Merritt, and, and was able to talk to him about what it's like to be a Christian. He actually is the Sunday school leader for uh, the Bible, uh, the Gospel Project Sunday School Curriculum, which is the Southern Baptist uh, Sunday School Curriculum. And uh, so we got to have a great conversation. So uh, I think we're learning and trying to figure out how do we do this. Yeah. Well, churches all over are learning how to do it, but I know that pastors uh, are are still um, understanding the call that the Lord has um, required of them, and, and they're doing it in new and different ways. Well, Brent, I want to... Thank you for joining me today on Heart of the City. I wanted to talk about the fact that you and I discovered each other because we found out we're cousins. We did. (laughs) And uh, that's a whole story in itself that we'll have to connect with at another time. But I want to thank you for joining me today on Heart of the City. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you want to know more, you can go to PeninsulaBible.org. That's PeninsulaBible.org. Brent, thanks for joining me. God bless. You've been listening to this 820 AM, the word special heart of the city. For more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on 820 AM, the word call Chuck Olmstead 206-269-6216 or go to thewordseattle.com.